0: You're listening to the sales process excellence podcast with Michael Webb. Some people focus on using data and evidence and scientific approaches to improve processes within their business along the lines of lean and other people focus on getting to decision makers, identifying value propositions and selling value in this podcast we focus on integrating those two things we focus on doing both so that we can help our companies to create wealth for everyone my name is michael webb and this is the sales process excellence podcast i'm really excited by my guest today george brontian of membrane software george
1: thanks for being here thank you michael happy to be here thanks for the invitation
0: Well, this is going to be uh, exciting. As I've told you over the years, I've been approached by lots and lots of CRM software companies. And as I scratch the surface of them, I unfortunately realize mm, these things are built with a bunch of assumptions that just don't work. They're not correct in taking a data-driven scientific approach to and systems thinking approach to improving the productivity of sales and marketing organizations. And then I spent an hour on the phone with you and your systems, and I was delighted to see that it's the closest one I've ever seen. And so our conversation today, I think, is is uh, gonna be uh, enlightening and, and fun for everyone. So uh, I guess everybody knows that you need some sort of information processing. Everybody knows in B2B that, you know, it's a tough business out there. It's tough to find customers and close them. It's tough to get all the salespeople up to speed and on board with something that actually works. And it's especially tough to forecast the future, you know, forecast accurately and consistently improve the productivity of sales and marketing. And there's a lot of studies a Famous one by CSO Insights over the last four or five years that show that sales and marketing management is struggling. That they've shown in their studies of over a thousand companies each year that the percentage of B2B salespeople that are actually making quota has been declining. It's like six years in a row, and productivity is not increasing. And so, I thought if we could start there, I know, George, that you being in this industry, you've seen those kinds of studies. Um, which of them do you think are the most interesting and uh, insightful? What do you think that those things are really telling executives who are responsible for sales and marketing productivity?
1: Yeah, I think the um, the ones uh, or the one you mentioned, CSO Insights, uh, has always done a, a good job in, in doing these studies. And. Summarizing them in a, in, a, in a in an interesting way, and I guess the the most interesting part of those is to see the trends, right? Or um, are, are we trending upwards or downwards, or w- where are we heading? And um, just looking at all the technology that has come out over the last decade, one would want to see effect- effectiveness and efficiency and productivity to to all be improving, right? But it's, it's kind of saddening to see those trend lines pointing downwards exactly
0: exactly the, the technology tends to be a solution looking for a problem and that is <laughs> not the way the investors or the developers intended it
1: hopefully not <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so, i mean i have yeah. some ideas about why that might be happening uh, but yeah. i think it's an important it's an important thing to face and sort of analyze i mean do you 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 have some theories about that? have you what observations have you seen with your clients um, that give you an idea of what might be the reasons for it?
1: Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, what I've seen um, happening is uh, kind of a a belief that automation will will solve all our problems. So marketing automation has been very hyped uh, for the last eight or so years and everyone and, and these companies in particular uh were, were touting the the end of selling and uh, we don't need sales yeah. <laughs> you just need to put some content up online and and have a blog and everyone will come knocking on your door to buy your your products and services so i think that people bought sort of bought into that a bit too much and uh, I, I think one of the um, sort of I don't know if, if I should call it an assumption but maybe misconception is that selling is selling um because there's a lot of variety in selling uh, it lies on a complexity scale and and if if you're looking to sell something to a consumer market uh, fast moving goods maybe you, all you need is a is a very good online presence and by by uh, Google AdWords and have a lot of content and, and do the SEO game but if you're in a complex B2B sales environment, it will definitely not be enough. It's it's going to be um, you have to do it. You have to be uh, online. You have to be there for your prospecting. But once the rubber hits the road, so to speak, and your salespeople get engaged, I mean, we're still you still have to know the basics. You have to do all the all the work that uh, you need to be able to do as a sales. Um, team and a sales professional and i think that's where people are falling down
0: so i think that's a, a fascinating uh observation i totally agree with it i remember years ago i started out in a pretty simple business uh out of college i sold business forms right and it's a weekly business and you're out there making calls and the hardest part was doing the estimating and entering the orders because there's so many damn details from that uh Industry. After four years, I made a switch, and I had no idea how big of a switch it was going to be. But microcomputers had come out, so I wanted to go into the business world of you know business computers and software. That was that was really cool. Um, and so I joined a computer company um, that sold mini computers and integrated accounting software to small and medium-sized businesses, and oh, man, talk about a cultural shift. Because they didn't buy the damn computer because of how many bits and bytes they were or the dimensions of the cabinet or the, you know, the color of the darn thing. Um, They bought it because of these abstract reasons, right? Their work in process inventory would be reduced. Their number of errors in the order entry, right? They'd be able to close their books faster at the end of the month. Well, what difference does that make? I had to learn... The impact of those things to be able to talk intelligently to the owners of, you know, small and medium sized companies. And I had no background on that from coming from the business forms industry. So, I mean, I was up late at night. I was studying with uh, eight, you know, my APEX examinations, American production and inventory control uh, uh, society, getting training and, and learning this context and this background. And the company I worked for uh, was trying, had a high turnover among salespeople, and it was trying to bring salespeople in. And I remember they brought in a guy who had a background selling copy machines. <laughs> yeah. And they thought we could turn him into a mini computer salesman. How did and, that go? Oh, man. He lasted about four or five months and he was gone. I mean, it was just the, the, the conceptual assumptions that had mm-hmm. to be in place to be effective selling the mini computers and the software. He had no idea about that stuff and that he had no ambition to do that mm-hmm. stuff. And the, yeah. the thing that was shocking to me was that our corporation, our executives, didn't realize that those mm-hmm. things had to happen. So I totally agree with you that that the variation, what looks like selling in one industry does not look like selling at all in another. Exactly.
1: And it is kind of depressing that this is still happening at such a large scale. People are still hiring the wrong type of people and not onboarding them correctly, not coaching them correctly. Uh, one would think that we would have come much further along.
0: And and yeah, you, so, so we're agreed that there is some sort of um, context of knowledge about what selling is and about Mm -hmm. what the value to the customer is required that has to be clear if a company is going to have an effective sales process Yep. and most companies they i would say most companies they haven't learned how to articulate that they kind of know it when they see it Mm -hmm. um, but they they haven't i mean would you agree with that
1: yes and you can also have multiple types of selling going on within the same company right you could have a a specific set of products or services that are more transactional and, and others that are more complex so it might be the case that you actually have different types of selling environments within the same company so you also have to realize that and people struggle with this when using technology because technologies haven't really been designed this way. They're also assu- uh, based on the assumption that selling is the same, basically, and right. that sellers should just log whatever they've done into the system. There's n- very little guidance on how to do things. Right. You know, or what information, information is important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely agree.
0: Yeah. So I've, I've talked with a number of... of um, people in the CRM industry and they sort of sense, they know that their customer, their client um, isn't going to have uh, all that successful of an installation because they know that the, they haven't really got a sales process defined, but they don't have a model for how to do it correctly. Um, and they they get frustrated because they end up talking to the IT department within their customer. Right, and so mm-hmm. you know, okay, we got this quote. We quoted them these capabilities. Let's just get it done, and then go on to the next client. And the CRM systems, as a result, don't end up achieving the you know the ambition and the hopes uh, that those companies or had hoped for when they started.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting when when I get contacted sometimes for. Articles and interviews and, and, and review sites and all these people who should be sort of in the know when it comes to technology, they sometimes or very often actually ask me the question. So which CRM systems are uh, are made or designed for small companies and which yeah. CRM companies are designed for large companies? And they Well, you're, that's the completely wrong question to ask because it's not about how much you sell it's how you actually sell or should be selling which is interesting so you can be a very small company and have a very complex sales environment or vice versa and that's what you need to understand and i think that's where many people go wrong and i think crm also for many are just it's just a database yes yes
0: it's just a database um and it can be very useful and helpful to salespeople if the database and its forms are designed correctly. Um, but you have that issue you mentioned a few moments ago. I worked with a distributor uh, one time, um, not too not too many years ago, and he had worked with another consultant, and they had developed a sales process, and there were eight steps in it. And as we looked at the yield, um, you know, the conversion. He had this problem where the forecast was, we'd have all these nice deals on the forecast, but they might get 10% of those deals by close, right? Then the rest of them get pushed forward to the next quarter. It was just so hard to know, you know, when these people were going to buy. And the so the deeper, the more time and effort they put into the deals in the funnel, the less likely people were to buy right so, so something was clearly amiss, and as we took apart you know the undesirable results we call them, the evidence and the data that they did not like, and tried to figure out what were the causes that were going on, he had part of his business that was routinely replacing supplies, right, um, um, components that were consumed, he serviced uh, catered to the printing industry, right, so printing blankets and. Uh, gaskets and seals and stuff like that, right? And this is just a commodity supply type of supply chain type of a thing. But then he also had some product lines that were very complex software for pre-press, right? For preparing the uh, images that are going to be printed. Well, you had to design your whole company around the train of work that goes from getting the order to doing the pre-press to proving, to setting up the press, to, produce, to produce, you know, printing it to all. these are very complex things. So the selling process for selling them was quite different. And he had so he had a mix of these software, uh, complex um, integrated special purpose hardware and equipment and supplies, On theory, for a distributor to be able to supply all these things um, is a great is a great you know you're in your fingers in all these different markets. What could go wrong? Well, a lot goes wrong because you can't manage those sales in the same way, and it becomes very unpredictable. And your salespeople are spread so thin over all those different technologies, they can it's difficult to be good at any one of them.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, also that technology I mentioned marketing automation uh, previously, I've, and and what people are doing wrong, as I see it, they're using all these marketing automation technologies, and, and then they put these leads, marketing qualified leads, or whatever you would like to call them, and they put them right into their pipeline. <laughs> uh, so there's no qualification right. apart from someone having to have having interacted on your website. But it could be a student, could be someone who's just having, having a boring Sunday, you know, it could be anything. Uh, so it becomes very, very difficult for sales leaders and sales frontline sales managers to actually trust the numbers. I mean, what's the win rate? When I ask right. that question today to to sales managers or sales leaders, they can't even answer it. Like, right. Well, it depends. Why does it depend? I mean, what what, what do you mean by that? Well, it depends on this and that, and this and that, and this person is doing it, doing it differently, and if we get leads from the website, it's different. It's like, right. no, it shouldn't be. You're just doing yep. it wrong.
0: <laughs> right, correct. It shouldn't be different. There should... Yeah. Uh, and it, <laughs> it kind of goes this... One of the, the... And perhaps you've seen this as well, that the, uh, the sort of the conception, the, sort of one of the hidden assumptions that people make is that selling is about what salespeople do. And in fact, in our world, the customers are out looking for information to solve their problems and and decide what to do. They're looking for information in lots of places that the salespeople can't go. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be that the salesperson, he would do the prospecting. They would let him in the door. When he knocked on the door, he could meet people for the first time. He had information about the market that they didn't have, right? And so he could build relationships. And through that network of relationships, then he was able to you know, find opportunities and he, he could handle everything from scoop to nuts in the whole relationship. Mm-hmm. But now when customers are looking for information on the Internet, if your company isn't there, it's like the whole company has to be oriented to how do we help customers find us how do we help them prioritize us how do we help them trust us okay now they're ready to actually buy something they might need someone who understands applications that's your sales process that just that one part of it then after they buy now they have to actually install it and there's all sorts of adjustments and changes and training and and you know perhaps startups all sorts of things that go on there did they actually get the result that they expected to get Right. So these are different functions that your business needs to um, perform. It's not all just the salesperson. And yet if the executives think about, oh, well, marketing, that's about the brochures, that's about public relations. And, yeah, they're, they're supposed to stay in budget. Sales, they're held accountable for results. We give them a quota. And service, yeah, they just solve problems. They look at it functionally, they're going to be blind to these changes that are going on in the market around them. I'm sorry. I'm I'm talking too much. I mean, is that sort of a thing that you've seen too?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's you have to get that holistic view uh, on the on the entire I, I don't really like the the word buying journey, but I, I guess it's more of a decision uh journey that customers are are on. I I do think it's interesting though to sort of uh challenge the idea that um, buyers have gone through x percent of their journey before contacting a salesperson Um, sure they're doing a lot more research and there's more information available online and now that information is also of higher quality hopefully than it was a a couple of years ago Uh, but I, i i'm not sure that buyers always know that they what they're looking for i mean they might have defined their problem incorrectly or not in the right way. So I I, I do think it's important for salespeople to sort of reset uh, the the problem definition if possible.
0: Um, So out of curiosity, why is it that you dislike the term buyer's journey?
1: Well, I I think it's uh, the wording makes me um, think of a journey that is defined so they that they know where they're going and how to get there which i don't think they do most of them um i think they I and mean, that um and, and i also dislike buying because they don't have to buy anything right if, if they have a problem that they need to solve i mean we know as sellers right and, and many and like a lot of times they will end up not buying anything from anyone Right it goes down to might, no decision. Yeah, yeah, no decision, or they find internal resources to solve uh, their problem. Right, they might not need to buy anything. So, so I don't think buying journey always is correct. Uh, I think they're on a, I don't know, solution hunt or or outcome chase.
0: <laughs> I think uh, that that's a a really good observation, and I agree with you. There was a, I'm trying to remember the title of it. There was a really good uh b2 b sales book uh, a number of years ago and they made a distinction between two major types of b2 b sales and one of them was this supplier uh you know commodity type thing for which companies that use them have buyers you know you exactly. might buy electronic components you might buy paper and ink you know yeah. you, you, you you might buy you know um, Motors and controllers and you know, you can figure it into your own product line if you're an OEM So you have buyers that are expert in buying that mm-hmm. stuff. But yep. the other type um, is the type of stuff that the company needs to change its internal systems and change its way of doing business mm-hmm. and so different executives or leaders of different departments are involved in making that decision and yep. sometimes it's internally driven sometimes somebody from the outside comes in and influences them but that's a whole different kind of a sale yeah. right? than than uh the buyer so I that's why I when I first uh, read about the buyers journey uh, years ago from a book called the leaky funnel uh, uh, I I was uncomfortable also with that concept of a uh, buyer's journey. And I started calling it the customer's journey for that same reason. So we were thinking alike there.
1: George, Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Some words you you can sort of trip on them and it, they don't really feel right. Um, so, I, And I, I think that goes back to, like you said, the type of selling environment or the type of buying decision or the type of decision they need to make. And, and I think what you said was also interesting that – that I think some people uh, may sometimes forget, and that's that the complexity of the sale is not really determined by the sales price or the size of the deal. or uh, It is really determined by the perceived risk for the buyer. So I mean, you could buy something very expensive, 1,000 laptops, but that doesn't make it complex, right? Still, that's a simple transactional sale, usually. but if you're buying an ERP system that could, I mean, really put the whole company to a halt, if not implemented correctly, and you have to change a, a number of processes within the company, well, that's a huge risk, uh, and it becomes very complex, and more people become involved. And I, I, think yes,
0: and I, I think that that is one of the uh, sort of tips. The, the, you know, the iceberg idea, there's, there's the surface that you see, but there's a whole lot of stuff underneath that has to be dealt with with sales processes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and as an example, lots of companies, I mean, they, they started up and they grew because there was a demand in the market. Mm-hmm. And then they just, you know, golly, oh, we, we can make more of these things, we can make some more money. So the focus is on production. Right. And make that production more timely, less costly, you know, and add a few more features that the customers want. And so they, as long as they're able to do that because of the imbalance in the market where there's more demand than supply, they can grow and they can make money. And they can yep. go through distribution channels right mm-hmm. <laughs> let, the, let yep. somebody else finance the inventory in you know fargo north dakota we can still make money by selling it to them at a discount we don't have to worry about dealing with the customers mm-hmm. it makes a good decision for the company's own balance sheet mm-hmm. uh, but i've talked to a number of companies and consulted with them uh, over time where that ends up kind of catching up with them where mm-hmm. the market has changed and their customers are more sophisticated, their competitors are more sophisticated, and where they used to be able to continue to grow just by signing up another market channel, for example uh, that 's not working anymore right mm-hmm. and so the, we do the uh, we have this method that I use it 's uh, helping people to define the evidence and data they do not like, this undesirable result, and you help them to do a cause and effect diagram to figure out what are the root causes of the current situation, and in in one client, very memorable kind of a situation, there were two kind of root causes. One of them was uh, we don't have a way of knowing what's actually working out in the field with sales reps or with our distributors. We don't have a way of knowing that. And so, in process improvement, you 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 take that and you say, okay, well, why? Why don't we have enough? Well, we never needed it before. Mm-hmm. Well, why? <laughs> right? Well. Mm-hmm gee, um, we could always make our numbers by signing up a distribution. Well, what? Because the market was growing. Oh, so the market's not growing anymore. So the market has changed. So that's why you need to see what's working and not working in the field with salespeople. Now, what was interesting is this company had been asked by its corporate parent to install a Siebel system automation systems for CRM the year before the general manager had succeeded in diverting it saying, we're not ready for that. Right? Okay. And had they spent that $1.2 million to install that thing without recognizing that one of their fundamental requirements is to have a way of knowing what's working and not working in the field, right? It would have been a $1.2 million boat anchor. So they yeah. dodged a bullet, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm just I'm tied back to that idea of the iceberg that there's so many implications inside the companies about how they create value for customers and if they're relying on um, rule of thumb and what always worked before, what worked at my last company, and they don't have a way of gathering the evidence and the data from the hinterlands, from the salespeople, from the distribution mm-hmm. channels, from real customers about what's actually working and not working, mm-hmm. then, you know, they're... They they may gradually be coming becoming disconnected from the market.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I often write about the the difference between efficiency and effectiveness, and and how people are always so focused on efficiency, just just doing more, faster. And and I think my industry is very very <laughs> uh, much to blame uh, because everything is about doing things faster email more people and call more people and and, quantity
0: instead of quality
1: yeah it's always quantity and i think that's causing a lot of problems for for the for the sales profession because yeah i I don't know about you but i get so many emails every day that i know they're from some kind of email automation software trying to look like they're customized for me but they're just they came with the system and, and it just ignore them i even get upset nowadays when they're so <laughs> extremely silly uh that it's hurting their brands yeah so, so yeah. but do you really blame the crm
0: industry because i mean to me it's mostly it's the b2b companies that you serve they're the ones that are asking for you know they're the ones that have all these presuppositions and assumptions and and um they're willing to spend lots of money without you know really examining them carefully
1: yeah no i wouldn't say i blame crm companies and and i think these uh, what we're seeing now or, or have seen the last three four uh, years is a lot of startups coming out of silicon valley and other places uh, that are trying to sort of fill the holes um, that are in the crm systems so uh, email uh, email cadences, for instance, as they're called by some of these vendors. Well, that's the uh, sales enablement thing. Yeah, you know. well, every all these tools that are popping up are trying to do one thing very fast, <laughs> basically. Uh, and uh, I think CRM, the, the big, large CRM players now, they've just become like large databases um, and, and uh, with an ecosystem of different tools around them trying to sell to this customer base using that database so it's kind of an interesting uh ecosystem they they've built because it's kind of you, they are dependent in in the one way of not building too much into the core product but rather have these third-party vendors do it for them because they're going to make money anyway so so and then trying to broaden their scope by Making some acquisitions to go into marketing, go into customer s- success, and, and touting all this as one beautiful, seamless creation. <laughs> uh, which it really you know, isn't. <laughs> which it, it really isn't. So, and, and, and I think that's where, and everyone is buying the, or drinking the Kool Aid. It's like, wow. Um, but, but I think there will come a day where, where you sort of realize that, wow, this is, this is really expensive. Uh, I'm paying a huge amount for just yeah, trying you're re- to,
0: you're reminding yeah. me I'm old enough to remember back in the 80s when General Motors made this big announcement, you know, they're under pressure from the Japanese and, and com- competition. And so they made this big announcement. We are going to have automated factories and they committed billions and billions of dollars to buying robots and automating their factories. And it was very expensive. And it was a gigantic failure. It took them like 10 or 12 years to finally admit because they thought they knew what the solutions were and they didn't. And and it's like (sighs) Toyota, for example, has steadily, gradually, continuously improved its productivity, its profitability, its efficiency, its effectiveness. And they are happy to let their competitors tour their plants because they know that the competitors aren't going to see what really makes them competitive. What makes them competitive is what's going on between the ears of the employees, right? Yeah. And six months later, the employees are going to come up with new and better ways to do the jobs. And that's how Toyota does it. And, and the executives, particularly of US corporations, are less likely to be aware of that. Um, so, I mean, to me, I see parallels in what has happened in management of production and manufacturing and uh, what people are now kind of repeating that error in sales and marketing. Do you?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, what I hear you saying is that they they believe the, the, that the magic sauce is in the tools uh, or the processes themselves, but it's really about the culture and the mindset and the systems thinking behind it. So uh, yeah, I do. I do agree, and I think sales is sort of the last outpost <laughs> when it comes to process uh, and continuous improvements. There's been too much autonomy, uh, I think, placed on salespeople. Um, we, we expect and assume that they know who, how to sell, who to speak with, about what, and and all of these things. So um, we just need to. Elevate, elevate the sales profession as a whole. I think on ele- on every level, because it's not just the salespeople; it's the sales managers. I think that's where we have the greatest sort of leverage if we can really improve our front yeah. end sales. Managers.
0: Yeah, yeah, great, greatest opportunity. Uh, I definitely uh, agree there. And the, the interesting thing to me. Um, I've talked with the numbers of of, uh, VPs, uh, like VPs of sales or even company presidents, and they're they're nervous. They're worried. If I bring this process stuff in, my salespeople, they might not like it. I mean, they're allergic to process. Mm -hmm. But when we get in and start working with them, we learn the salespeople are dying for this. Because their biggest problem is not selling the customers in a lot of cases. It's getting their own company to go along with what needs Mm -hmm. to be done. Right. Um, and, and so to have an orderly data driven way so that you can tell who's doing a good job and who's not, so you can predict better. The salespeople embrace it, uh, in my view, because if you handle it correctly, because it's about it's about the system. It's about value to the customer. It's about evidence and data. We don't blame people. Right. It's it, the salespeople can't control the system that they're in. Um, And unfortunately, most in the B2B sales profession, whether they come from CRM or from sales training, they still have this mindset, oh, we have the outside expert. You know, you're going to do the Miller and Hyman approach in this company, right? It's like, wait a second, some of that may be good, but some of it isn't. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have this uh, know-it-all sort of mentality uh, when it comes to what B2B sales ought to be instead of an experimental mentality that allows the salespeople to experiment and learn and change the system that they live in, so that it makes it easier to sell. It's, I mean, yeah, um, just, I'm, I'm riffing off here, but I mean, that's what yeah, I'm-
1: I agree with you. I agree with you. I read a very interesting book a couple of years back um, uh, called The Checklist Manifesto mm-hmm. uh, by a uh, surgeon. I've heard of that? Yeah, so it's a surgeon who who talks about the. Uh, high amount of, of uh, complications that occur after surgeries and a lot of uh, deaths that occur and and they researching this they found that it it was often because of simple problems like the them not washing their hands correctly or the timing right. of the anesthesia being off etc so they they started looking at other professions where lives were at stake and and they saw for instance pilots mm-hmm. and they use checklists mm-hmm. Uh, and in construction as well, that you don't you don't take off until you know that there's fuel in the tanks and etc. <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera. And and they went back to the surgeons. And said, hey, let's let's do this. Let's introduce a checklist so we make sure that we don't miss important steps that could cause someone to die. And, and everyone was, of course, very negative about this. Like, wow, well, I don't need a checklist. I've been a surgeon for 25 years. Don't yeah. come, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> uh, but they introduced it in, in multiple uh, hospitals around the world. And they reduced the number of deaths with 47%. <laughs> That's pretty That's awesome. staggering. That's, I, I found that so interesting. I I often tell this story to sales leaders and salespeople when, when, it, when it comes to process. It's like, it's not, I mean, pro, we're, we're not designed for discipline. We make mistakes all the time. And who do you think can, makes the most mistakes, a surgeon in a two-hour operation or you in a nine to 12-month sales cycle right. where you have like 20 different stakeholders and there's politics involved, <laughs> people's jobs are at stake, or this person who's, who's lying still and they're operating on him for, for two hours. And that sort of lowers their guard. I bet it's like, yeah, you're, you're right. We, we could view process as guidance, support, structure that, that would help us really do our job better. So, and I think yeah, so,
0: so engaging your team to develop those checklists and mm-hmm. then manage themselves according to it. Exactly. You turn the whole sales process. The objective of the sales process is not to bring in customers. The objective of a sales process is to improve how you bring in customers, right? <laughs> that's why people get engaged with it because they can do better, their ideas can be adopted. And so it should be, these standards and checklists should be changing and improving over time. That's what you have to, that's the purpose of the process. And that's what the software, uh, in my view, uh, should support. So as you look at the clients that that your company services around the world, they come in. What percentage of them are ready, actually, for uh, automation in the in the manner that we're talking about? They're they're uh, they've got this stuff thought out. They they have good managers. They're ready to start learning from the data. And what percentage of them are just looking for, you know, some sort of uh, technology solution without having thought through all that stuff?
1: That's a good question. And and because we sell through partners uh, usually customers come to us through a, a partner who has already helped them design uh, the strategy and the, and the process so most of the clients actually have it for that reason uh, but we also get requests or, or, or uh, for for information and, and uh, customers coming uh, through the website online and there it becomes very obvious that most have a very very poor understanding from my perspective of what a sales process should contain and the depth of it so for for most they have sort of the definition of the sales process being a number of stages Yeah, uh, because that's how it's been represented in crm systems so they have you know four or five stages uh, and and sometimes they're called Uh, like a selling language like engage yeah uh, design proposals etc or or they've they've been modern and they've uh, looked at it more from a buying perspective Uh but doesn't really matter there's no depth into it it doesn't really go into how uh, we help a client to define their problem or how we help them define a possible solution how we help them verify that that solution could work how they and all these details that we have to help the the customer go through they don't have all of that so i would say 90% uh, yeah. that come that from the website and um, to us don't have that uh, defined in in a good enough manner
0: and if they did their return on investment would be way way better
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but i what i i mean one of the reasons i started this company and this uh, designed the product was that I sort of had a realization in, in another company that I own that, I, owned, that I, I was really failing in making salespeople productive. Um, and I sort of sat down and thought about the main problems these salespeople were doing and the main problems I <laughs> was doing. Um, and, and I have a thesis that if we can just reduce the most common problems um, we can increase uh, revenues with 20, 30%, mm-hmm. of course, depending on what you sell and how much and what industry mm-hmm. you're in. But that was in my um, in my situation back then. So we were selling automation tools for IT companies. Uh, and a very common mistake my salespeople did was that they did not involve the technical people. So the the, the business benefit of, of the IT automation platform that we sold uh, were huge for the business. You could go from 3% uh, profits to 30% profits if you made everything in, in the right uh, way. Mm-hmm. But of course, the technical people got super afraid because they thought their jobs were going to go away. Mm-hmm. If things were going to get automated, wow, I'm going to lose my job. So they became uh, real <laughs> real uh, stoppers uh, for any deal to happen. So that was one of the typical... Simple problems that was uh, the, the salespeople uh, were making was like okay you have to involve these people you have to talk to them about their pains and their gains uh, super simple thing right you, you think any salespeople would would understand that but they didn't and I had to coach them and we had to design it into the process so that we did those actions at the right time and we provided the guidance and the the speaking points and the questions and the dialogue that they needed to have so I think. Just reducing simple mistakes, like not washing your hands as a surgeon, yep. can have pretty massive, uh, massive impact. Or just qualifying deals, like, like I
0: mentioned. Absolutely. And, and that so, I can important. echo that. I've seen exactly the same thing happen with my clients. We, we can help them to do simple things like defining the observable characteristics that make a prospect or an opportunity more or less likely to buy or to be successful. Yeah. And have everybody use that checklist, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you can convert those observations into numbers. And all of a sudden, unwittingly, I mean, big problem in sales training is getting everybody to use the training. Here, we didn't do any training. And people are doing things in a more constructive, consistent way. Yep. Right? And, and it makes a huge difference in forecast accuracy, in close ratios. I had a client tell me that their margins went up a full percent without raising prices because the entire company knew how to focus on those deals in the pipeline that were most likely to buy. That just yep. the way of operating makes everything work
1: better. Yep. Yep. And and, and then the win loss is, is another important aspect of it, really to understand why are we winning, why are we losing, and then redirect your efforts to where you can win more. Uh, and, and that's a simple thing you would think and everybody uh, is doing. Everybody is doing win-loss analysis, but not really. Uh, my experience is that they, they're done quite sloppily uh, yeah. and uh, not, they're not very data-driven. They're more, more based on assumptions, again, uh, from salespeople, why a deal was won or lost. But um, we need to drill down in the data to say, okay, what, what are we really seeing?
0: Right, and uh, and the, the methods of doing that so that they're efficient and effective. Uh, yeah, people need they they need to learn this more kind of scientific approach. Um, mm-hmm. So cool. Well, we're we're uh, we could go on for a long time. <laughs> I'd like to do this again. This is kind of fun. Let's see how uh, the audiences react uh, to our conversation here. I I suspect we're talking about things that. Um, a lot of people uh, would be interested in. And I really, really appreciate the insights and the perspective uh, that you're bringing to this, George.
1: That's good fun. We, we have a shared passion.
0: <laughs> so, uh, if someone wants to learn more about Membrane or learn more about George um, and follow up with you, how would they do that?
1: Yeah, I think the easiest way is uh, to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Uh, membrane.com if you want to learn more about the product we're building and uh, we also have a uh, we're creating sort of a a business impact assessment we call it maybe too big of a word but where we try to figure out what how much effectiveness would if we increase sales effectiveness how would that impact a business it's a very fun exercise to do Uh, and uh, so that's a, a free exercise we do with potential clients. Uh, and the the, the output will, is a number of documents that are useful for, for any investments, not just in our product members. when it comes to sales
0: mm-hmm. Very interesting. All right. Um, well, again, thanks for your interest and uh, your support for the Sales Process Excellence Podcast. Uh, I would love to have you again in the future. And I uh, hope the business does well and these clients uh, – And prospects can learn from what we've been talking about and, uh, you know, make better business decisions in their sales process. So thank you, sir.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.